Welcome to episode 424 of The Sleeper and the Bus. It is Sunday, February 5th. I'm your host, Paul Sport, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, happy Super Bowl Sunday, a.k.a. the first day of baseball. Yeah, it's baseball season eve. We wake up tomorrow morning and this horrendous sport that's played with pig skin goes away and the one that comes with beautiful leather rawhide awakens. It's great, right? Because, yeah, this really is the cap, obviously, on the football season, you know, 100%. You, you put the Super Bowl, it's done. Even those who are big into the off season, they get their reprieve. And so for those that are baseball and football fans, football, they, they – Close the book on baseball, or excuse me, on football, and they start turning to baseball. And so we've already been seeing them trickle over. You know, when, when once the Packers got eliminated, those fans come over, and you know, clearly the Lions were never going to beat the uh, Seahawks, so those Lions fans came over immediately. And you know, as the teams got eliminated, you start to see everyone start to trickle in, and now we're going to have a mad rush. So I, I do love Super Bowl Sunday for for not just you know, I still enjoy. The game and the whole festivity of it. Uh, we, we, we we knock on football from time to time, but we still both watch all the time. So uh, we do like it. But this is the best part: is once that game is over, everyone starts tweeting. It's baseball season, so we are very close, and I'm pretty excited. But I I doubt I doubt that it matches your excitement over what actually happened to be our question of the day. How psyched are you that Logan Morrison is back, dude? Super psyched. I mean, calm. Hey, calm down. Like, I, I, if you drop a few swear words, I get it because I, I just, you, you can't contain the excitement of getting Logan Morrison back on a one-year, two point five million dollar deal. I mean, I'm not gonna go Kristen Stewart and drop an F bomb <laughs> in the intro here, but I can't stand her. By I the mean, way. let's look at a couple of things with it. In all seriousness, I mean, if you look at the projections, if you look at the projections for this year for both Brandon Moss and Logan Morrison. Uh, overall baseball projections. Mm-hmm. They're both about half a win player, right? The Royals gave two years and $15 million to Brandon Moss, and the Rays gave $2.5 million to Logan Morrison. You know? So, you know, that that works out at $2.5 bucks. I honestly don't care how that plays out it, because it, it doesn't have it's to so do anything. cheap. Yeah. It, it's, I, so, it's, it's nothing. But here, I mean, the, the, the bigger thing for me – is it, what it, it gives the team some more depth. I mean, let's let's be honest. Last year, if we go back and look at some of the guys that had to play on this team last year that got you know that got too many at bats, and there were a lot of names that that shouldn't have shown up in the stat sheet because they had to because they were just guys that were hurt. I mean, you go back and look, um, you know, guys that got at bats that shouldn't have. Uh, they had to give Alexi Ramirez time last year because they had nobody else. Hank Conger got 137 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Mikey Maddock got almost 200 last year. Remember, he went like 0 for 80 at one uh, point. It was, it was something bad. along he, those he lines. Can't hit I mean, the carcass of Desmond Jennings got 225 plate appearances. I mean, there's a lot of guys that got plate appearances that shouldn't Taylor have. No, Lauder was playing with some regularity. Yeah, there's another. There's another one. Uh, Decker was, or Jeff Decker was on. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of stuff going on. Now, one of the things Morrison got off to that horrendous start. I think he went 0 for 38, 1 for 39, something like that to start the season. But then, you know, then they sat him for a few days. And once, once he came back for the rest of the year, if you look at his numbers from that first week into May, once he came back from that, uh, getting that first hit and taking that break for the rest of the year, he hit 270. With a 355 on base percentage and a 478 slug, that's a 357 weighted on base average. It's a 127 WRC plus. That plays. 
I those mean, that, play. That, that plays for sure. Right? And, th- and those play, and what they do is they, you know, they set them up for success, say, okay, you're going to hit against righties, you're going to sit against lefties. But those numbers play out. So there is, there's still some, some decent value here with Morrison uh, in deeper AL leagues because he's going to play and they're going to set him up a little bit, uh, you know, set him up for success and limit his playing time. Yeah, so that was, now, that was going to be my main question. So it's, it's AL only, obviously. Right. You get into a couple bucks or you think you only have to go a buck? I think you might get Logan Morrison a buck everywhere. Ah, uh, yeah, he's do- he's dollar game material for you. He may be you know, two, three. Now I'll be pissed if this if this uh, prohibits them from adding that right-handed bat that we've talked about yep. for them going to get a Chris Carter, going to get a Mike Napoli. Frankly, if it's not one of those two, I really don't want anybody else. Those are the two guys that I want. Uh, so and and this doesn't preclude that. It may impact their value because you look at either one of those guys could play in a platoon situation. Uh, right, and maybe some, maybe sometimes you'll you'll leave Morrison in there against a lefty if it's a uh, a lefty that doesn't have that breaking ball, mm-hmm. or you'll leave Carter in there versus a righty who doesn't have, uh, you know, who has got reverse splits, that kind of thing. And the team has done that before. But I think uh, overall, as as we get into Ray's corner today, um, this is going to be the dreaded committee situation you're going to have uh, you're going to have some committees all over the place in the outfield um there will be there will be uh except for Kiermaier I mean really unless he gets hurt he's not coming out of the line if you're not taking that defense but the corner outfield platoon DH platoon first base platoon shortstop platoon second base platoon it's going to be a lot of that that's so, exactly uh, uh, Kiermaier and Longoria those are the guys that you can leave in there as long as they're healthy everybody else platoon city Roster Resource has three different platoons that they see, um, and we are we are breaking down the race. And there there are no notable transactions outside of you know the, the closest one to notable actually was Logan Morrison, so that kind of worked out well for a Jason episode. So we're going to be doing the Rays breakdown, and then we do have a pitcher battle, which includes uh, their ace. So let, let's just get into it. And you mentioned, I think you already kind of g- gave an answer here, but I want to talk about it at a little bit more length. So Rasmus and Dickerson, in your estimation, are going to be platooned? Yes, uh, and really, both guys are similar. I think Rasmus, uh, you know, as we get to, I'll just go ahead and say this now and talk about it later. Rasmus is my favorite target for the team. Okay. And so we'll get to Rasmus in a little bit because I know that that section's coming up later. But we saw Dickerson, We the power came over with him. He hit the ball hard. I mean, right now, if you look over at the processreport.net uh I say we collectively, but most of it's been Jason Hanselman doing the the 30 days uh, countdown, and he's he uh, on the list it shows the top 30 events for the Rays by win probability added, and Dickerson's already shown up three plus times in wow. it, uh, so he keeps showing up, and, and the power plays. I mean, he, that came over with him. The batting average didn't, and he really struggled out of the gate a lot like Morrison. You know, just struggled to make that change over, but once he did, he looked really good, and then he tapered off really late. But overall, I mean, that that June, July, August uh, stretch was was strong for him, uh, but doesn't hit lefties well. He dropped 25 pounds in the offseason. Uh, I really didn't think he was that chunky to begin with, but he dropped 25 in the offseason. Uh, so perhaps he wants to stay out in the field a little more. Uh, you put Rasmus, you put Rasmus out in right field. Um, I don't know really how they're going to run that mix, but a Rasmus Kiermaier, either part of that outfield, a lot of fly balls are going to go to die there because Rasmus is a really good defender out there uh, when he stays healthy. And then if Dickerson lost 25 pounds, that should give him a little more range, and that will help keep him in the field. But I, I see them going to platoon situation there with, uh, you know, they just they just added Ricky Weeks Jr. on a minor league deal. 
perhaps that he makes the team and that becomes the guy that platoons with one corner outfielder because Weeks can still rake lefties. He does a really good job of it. Always and then you've got Sousa, you've got Sousa out there too. And I think these kinds of moves affect him. Um, but it's not like he's earned it either. I mean, he's had a lot of issues uh, staying healthy on the field, making contact, on, making contact, and that different type of thing. So perhaps they they put him into a platoon situation where uh, you know it's tough to find 400 plate appearances for him this year because there's a lot of good uh, to uh, slightly better than average left-handed bats on the lineup. Elsewhere, uh, with, with regards to these potential platoons, saw that Nick Franklin. Was you know for, for his games last year, twenty five of them were in the outfield. Does he factor in on this uh, on the short side of platoons? And is there enough playing time for him elsewhere too? First base, second base, shortstop. He's played all of them uh, at, at, for little bits last year. Is there enough playing time for Nick Franklin to make an impact this year? Um, I'm not seeing it. In fact, if they do make that next uh, addition of a right-handed bat, he may be the odd man out here. I mean, you look at you look at the current projected bench right now of uh, the second catcher Tim Beckham, um, who does have an option, by the way. It's it's very surprising to, to hear that, but he does. Uh, I believe Franklin is Franklin is out of them. Um, and then that that other outfielder out there, that's kind of where things are. So it would feel like Franklin would be that odd man out um, of that situation. Uh, you think they look to move him? Well, when he's out of options, yeah, that that kind of thing would oh, happen. Yeah, or you yeah. move, or you move Beckham down. But Beckham plays the better shortstop. Franklin's not a shortstop. Roster resource uh, saying so Beckham doesn't have really any options. He does I, have one. I I confirmed with somebody with the team he does okay. have one. Because I thought I saw that too. But then if you, you know, one of the things with options is you've got to be down more than twenty days. And Beckham, he was only sent down very late last year for the hustling issue and he got sent down on August 31st and the, and the minor league season ends like September 5th. Oh, okay. So he did. So he still has an option left. Uh, so that's where, that's where it is with him. And he plays, the, he plays the better shortstop uh, than Franklin does. So I think I, I'm not high on Franklin having an impact because I think he's the odd man out if they add another guy. All right. Well, there goes that. I was hoping maybe, maybe I used to really like Nick Franklin as a prospect coming up. You, you know, it looked like he was going to be maybe a power speed combo guy up the middle been knocking around he's still only 26 so even if he did become the odd man out i think they could move him for you know a, a c minus arm or something like that uh to some, i just think it's a neat team. thing i mean they need right-handed they need more right-handed thump and while he is a quote-unquote switch hitter uh most of his hitting comes from the left-hand side mm -hmm. now if he was if it was the other way around i like his odds a little more but uh, if you're looking for a right-handed bat that plays defense, you've got that guy in Beckham already. Okay. Now having having options is a curse, but uh, you know defensively, I don't I don't think they're willing to take that step down and say, okay, we're going to let Franklin be our our Sunday shortstop, if you will, because um, Duff, if Duff, Matt Duffy's going to play five six days a week, they're going to let the other guy be the, the Sunday shortstop, along with the Sunday catcher um, situation thing. So, uh, no, I, I really don't see it. I know some people have been talking up Franklin a little bit of late, and I think he does have some kind of value. I just don't see it here. Okay. I think that's fair. Uh, let's move on to the pitching a little bit here. Is this the Blake Snell breakout season? And it's not like we've been waiting for a long time. So I don't say that to, you know, say it's do or die or anything like that. It's just that big-time prospect actually showed some things in his 89 innings last year. You know, don't. There are some downsides for sure. He had a 162 whip because he walked everybody in the yard and gave up too many hits, uh, and st but still managed a 354 ERA 
because you know, he kept the ball in the yard, got a lot of strikeouts, wiggled out of some jams. That We saw some positive things within those 89 innings from Blake Snell. Do we take a big step forward this year? Are we still making incremental gains? Where are you with Blake Snell? Uh, can I just read my Fangraphs Plus player profile for Of course. Him? Okay, so this is what I have in there, and I believe those are going live soon. Uh, they are. They are, in fact. Okay. Um, by the way, my list is done. Uh, so here's what I wrote. I said, Balake uh, was a mixed bag of successes and failures in his rookie season, which was to be expected. He came up a, uh, a spot. He came up for a spot start in April, wowed everyone with the heat and the big curveball, then went back to Durham. You know, while he was in Durham, he struck out almost 13 per nine innings, and cries for his promotion were met with mentions of his command not being where it needed to be. Throwing strikes was an issue for him at the big league level, but some of that was due in part to how big his curveball is. Uh, a lot of vets don't get that pitch called for strikes consistently, and so it wasn't surprising to see the rookie getting squeezed throughout the summer. And, and this commentary, that was a big problem for him. I mean, the curveball's got so much break to it. Uh, a lot of umps were giving up on it when he was dropping some in the zone, and they were just, no, like the high curveball wouldn't get called, the low one. The the, you know, the cur Eno's talked about it. The curveball is just a Absolutely. tough pitch to throw for strikes, especially in the and, minors. But it can hit you in the majors as well. Yeah, he's got a lot of shape to his curve. Um, so he's, he had one of the lowest zone percentages for starters, and his fastball was more hittable when he missed location with it. Um, I honestly, it, uh, he's already good, but better fastball command. That's so how I closed it. You know, he's already good, but better fastball command could make him great in a hurry because he's got the curveball, he's got the offs, he's got the two other pitches. It's just what got him in trouble last year is. 2-0 counts, 3-1 counts, 3-0 counts, and just not being able to, to command his fastball where it needed to be. And once that comes, then it's all everything else is going to come along with it quickly. So I could see him uh, taking off. If you're looking what I would, where I would feel comfortable bidding, uh, I'm not ready to go double digits in a in a standard mixed league format with him yet, okay. just because I don't expect the ratio to improve that much. I the ERA. The area is real though because he's tough to square up. Exactly, and that's why he does. That's why he doesn't get a lot of home runs. But I don't see the the the, the whip going from one six two to one two two just like that. So that's going to hold him back a little bit. Uh, so I, I, you know, eight to nine, maybe ten on the high end in in a uh, in a standard mixed league format, in the AL format, uh, like low teens, okay. and and that's really best case nice. scenario. Okay, best guy, I'm thinking like twelve bucks, uh, but. And somebody would probably make me pay that for him, um, but yeah, you're the way I'm trying to shape out. Oh, I'm gonna. I always get you're, taxed. But you'll I'm get not taxed paying. on Blake Snell, but uh, Blake Snell, but uh, others might be able to get him kind of on the lower end of of those ranges. Uh, let's play some either or with with a few guys around him. First off, uh, Snell's going as the 66th pitcher off the board, right around pick 240. So uh, I'll give a couple ahead of him and then a couple behind. See where you're at. Blake Snell versus former teammate Drew Smiley, who's going at 62 and 225. Oh, man. Got, uh, Snell, because I hate Drew Smiley. I, it got <laughs> to the point. I, I, I hate why I hated watching him pitch last year. Uh, just because it, he would just – you could see the body language. Like, oh, uh, here. He he was probably the guy that suffered most of Kiermaier being out as long as he was. Yep. Because a lot of those fly balls that became outs became hits, and then things just snowballed from there. You know what? I'll take that back because I really do like Seattle's defense this year. You know, well, I'll take that back. I'll go. I'll go Smiley by a hair. They they have committed to defense and athleticism, and so especially in the out. Yep, you, you're looking at Dyson, uh, Leonis Martin, and who's the other outfielder out there? Um, they got rid of Seth Smith. They made so many trades. 
Who? Haniger. Oh yeah, Mitch Haniger. Mitch Haniger, another athletic guy. So that 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 should be the primary outfield, provided that Haniger pans out the way they're kind of expecting. So you're going to take Smiley over Snell. I am. Okay. Uh, let's. How about? Uh, well, a guy who I don't think was ever Smiley's teammate, but was used to be on that same team, Taiwan Walker, who's going 63rd and 229. Oh man, Edwin Jackson 2.0. And, and I, here's the Dang. thing. I've <laughs> and here's the thing. I actually have. I, I'm I'm working on my RotoWire NL bold predictions, and my bold prediction for is for Arizona is Taiwan Walker wins 12 games with a 3.50 ERA. I love That's it. my bold prediction for him. And uh, but I think Snell can do that too. Okay. Uh, and Snell's going to get more strikeouts, so I'll take Snell over there. But I do like Walker. Coming, I do like Walker coming back this year. I think you know, that foot problem last year was clearly a problem oh, for him. Absolutely, he had ten bone spurs removed. Taiwan and, Walker did. And you look, and you go back, go back and look at Taiwan Walker in the second half of 2015, striking out eight per nine, wasn't walking anybody, was keeping the ball in the yard, everything looked good. And then last year he had the bone spurs, he had some tendon issue in his foot that wouldn't allow him to drive off the baseball. I read a story in June. He talked about not being able to drive, push off the mound and really drive through the baseball, and it was giving him troubles against the lefties. I mean, he got 27 home runs. 16 of them were to lefties last year. Uh, but he held lefties to a lower batting average. Righties killed him on the, in the batting average department, but lefties killed him in the power area. Uh, so I like Walker this year. And, and that you talk about a, going back to the Logan Morrison days, you should easily be able to get Walker for under five bucks in a draft. It's not going to be expensive. I think a lot of folks are off of him, and then going to Arizona has them uh, especially worried. But I, I'm still a pretty big Taiwan Walker fan, even going to Arizona. I know it's going to put put a little bit of a challenge on him, particularly with home runs. But I think there was some, like you said, some injury reasons behind some of those home runs that if that's fixed up, and obviously he got the bone spurs out, if everything's good to go with the foot, he still has to work on some things to keep the homers down from from a mechanical standpoint in the way he's pitching. But I think that the uh, the impact of moving to the NL is not going to be as severe as some folks think. So and I'm, I tell you, I'm with you. I think, and I think the you know the, at least the NFBC drafters are seeing it that way with him being uh, 229 um, ADP ahead of Marco Estrada, Matt Shoemaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the guys where he's coming in. I'm actually surprised where Walker's value is this year, considering how many people he's burned. In the last few years. Exactly. And so it's, you're going to have those camps of it, – it's actually – I feel like it's, it's – some. he's one of those guys, Tywin Walker, is where the camp is. I'm 100% out or I'm still fully in. Um, you, you're going to have the believers, which I, I, I count both of us amongst, and then you're going to have the folks who are just like, I'm not in. I don't care. He's burned me. This guy was a big prospect, and I just don't think he's going to be – he's going to make the grade. So – there's going to be the, that group, and if you get into a league where there's six, seven of those folks, you're going to see Taiwan Walker go for some really low prices, and I think you should jump in because the talent alone is worth betting on. The guy's still young. I still think there's a lot to Taiwan Walker. So we're we're taking well. I don't know where I'm at with between Smiley and Snell, so I'm I'm punting. I get I get to make you answer them, and then I get to punt. But I am taking Walker over Snell. What about a guy just a little bit behind him? Whose upside is obviously higher because we've seen it, um, or or maybe it's not that much higher. But Garrett Richards, 69th off the board, nice 253 pick overall. Like I said, we've seen the we've seen the major upside, but Snell has really big upside too. Like this is not some mediocre prospect. He was a, he's an elite prospect, 
who many believe can be a frontliner in kind of that number two vein, which is what we've seen Richards be. Richards went the uh, the rest and rehab, the you know the platelet platelet rich plasma treatment to uh, go instead of Tommy John. So he's a little bit sketchy there. That's why his price is so low. You're gonna go right. with you're gonna bet on the upside of of Snell, or you're gonna bet on the rebound of Richards. No, I'm going the upside of Snell for a lot of the reasons. I think we talked about Richards a little bit, mm-hmm. a bit last week in comparison to Matt Shoemaker about which one I would like, and that for the same reasons. I'm not changing anything there. Okay, okay. Um, then let me get let me get one more here. Probably not going to go. I was going to go another one below him, but I think I think all these below him, you're gonna you're gonna go with Snell based on some of the positivity that you've sprinkled his way. So let me go. Back to a guy that we've talked about recently just to see where you're at, just to really test you here. Michael Pinata, 59th pitcher <laughs> off the board, pick 221. Blake Snell, 66, 240. So that, that's relatively close right there. And, for the price, though, for the price, Pinata. I mean, because he's so, I mean, boy, he is so cheap when you consider those skills that he's already shown, whereas we're betting on Snell to, to make improvements, right? You know, 13%. Walk great. He's got to chisel at least four percentage points off of that, um, and and Pinata is already doing it and doing yeah, it with a better that, strikeout FBC, rate. I know we have NFBC listeners, and 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 Pineda is fifty ninth, and Snell is sixty six. So that group is you know, clearly looking at the skills. But I'm talking your your average home league listener. So you, Joe, homeless home league player. You know, if you if you're in a reset draft and you throw out Blake Snell, he's going to go mid teens. Right. Uh, if you throw out Pineda, I don't know if he even makes ten. I don't even know if he makes eight dollars because there are going to be raise your hand if you've been burned by him and everybody's going to throw their hand up in the air. And those are the types of players. That's where the, the target. I mean, last year, uh, you know, and, and I remember getting Rich Hill for cheap late because mm-hmm. everybody's like, whatever. Who knows how that's going to play out? Yeah. Um, Drew Pomeranz was a guy ended up getting cheaper. But there were there were guys last year that came out late in the draft. And you're like. Hey, let me try a skill. Uh, Rick Porcello come to mind? Anybody? He was uh, he was you know very inexpensive after a near five ERA. I think you're right. Well, let's let forget he had like a 28 ERA in spring training. Looked horrendous in spring training, and Rick Porcello was out there for the taking. Jay Happ was out there for the taking. I mean, these are guys that have that that have, were out there late last year that have been burned multiple people. Forget it. I'm out. I don't want any piece of them. And then they come back and have productive years. And we talked about. There's a lot there with Pineda where maybe it all comes together. I know it's been there in the past, but for the for the price I have to pay on draft day in the in in an average league, give me Pineda. Well, and especially if you're in a league where shiny new toy syndrome is big. You know, if you play with a, with with a bunch of folks who are prospect mavens and they're in on the prospects and they know all the young guys that are coming up and they're trying to they're trying to hit on that next guy and and I play in one where I would say at least two thirds of the league uh, is like this. They they just want to hit on those prospects. They want to be the the person who says, "I've got a five dollar Blake Snell, and uh, I can keep it." You know, uh, whoever the breakout is, they they want to be there with that guy. And Pineda is just not a guy that's going to appeal to them because hey, they've seen it. They've seen the upper fours, the RAs, and they're kind of over it. Even though they acknowledge the skills, uh, they're just kind of moving on. So I I agree with you. That uh, Pineda could actually be pretty even closer to Snell's cost in a lot of other leagues, and then you do have to lean Pineda that way. All right, but we are still pretty high on Blake Snell. That you, you gave some pretty nice uh, 
had a lot of nice things to say about Snell. So I think that we should see some upside here. And you're going to want to put a little star next to Blake Snell if you weren't considering him already. Let's move into the bullpen. And, you know, I don't have my ranking. So, you know, I don't know where I'm at yet. I have not done my closer rankings. But is Alex Colomay a top 10 closer? He looked damn impressive last year. And he's 11th off the board in NFBC right now. Uh, just behind our boy Giles, who I know you're not putting him over, but you know maybe you're flipping him with Wade Davis, or I don't know how you feel about Kimbrel or Sungwon Oh or Roberto Ozuna, uh, Edwin Diaz. Those are the guys that are in the in the second five there. And like I said, Colmes at 11, pick 105. You think he's a top 10 potential? Osuna may be the only guy that I would consider moving. Okay. around on that list and davis for the for the health let's not forget he didn't end last year completely healthy that's the only scary thing right because i believe if, if wade davis is healthy he's easily a top 10 guy I mean, yeah no issues right with and that. that's really and that's really it i mean even where column being 105 overall i mean i don't agree with people taking him 87th reaching that high but it, it definitely good and we look at when you look at the numbers, he had a, a top 15 swinging strike rate last year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the combination pitch the, with the fastball and the, and the slutter, uh, if you will, everything else looked great uh, with him. I just really like him. Um, I just don't really – I don't see a, a strong case of moving anybody else out of that top 10. I mean, maybe you take – the issue with Melanson is you know he's going to compile a bunch of saves. I mean, I mean the, the Giants team, that he just gets them every year. He got him in Pittsburgh. He'll get them with the Giants, get too. Get elsewhere and, and, and book yeah. it. Great ratios and a boatload of saves. They're going to ride They're going to ride uh, Melanson at the end of the game there. After the issues they had last year, they're going to feel good having somebody that they can super rely on. Yeah, I think Melanson sometimes gets a bad rap from folks just because he's not putting up those obscene strikeout rates, which are great. And, and that enhances the value of Chapman, Jansen, Britton uh, at the very top, and then others sprinkled throughout. Uh, I think Giles will be one of those guys this year. Weird that we we're in on Giles this year. But, uh, yeah, for Melanson, if you're starting with, like, you know, Scherzer and another big high strikeout guy as your number two, then you can afford to take Melanson and say, listen, I'm getting my strikeouts from my starters. I can afford to get just a decent strikeout rate from my closer. So it's tough to move him out of there for somebody like a Colome. Right. I mean, Colome is, is really good at what he does, but everybody else in front of him is also really good at what he does yeah. at, at what they do. So I, you know, again, I have no problem with where he's being drafted. I have no problem taking him, uh, you know, having him in that top 110 because the, the strikeouts are there, the ratios are there. He's getting he got 37 saves on a bad team last year. I'd say that bodes well for, <laughs> you know? for the closer ranks then because I, I'm I'm pretty much with you here. I don't think there's anybody I can really move out for Colome, but I'm I'm very happy to take Colome. In fact, I actually think Kelvin Herrera has a chance to be a top five closer this year. And so if I miss out on the first run, uh, the first two runs there, and I get Colome Herrera. I feel like my closers could compete with anybody's outside of if somebody, you know, went back to back and said hell, Chapman Jansen or something like that. I mean, hell, you give me Colomay and Jim Johnson. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty hyped on Jim Johnson this year. If he's pitching the way he was at the end of last year and the fact that he's going to be relatively free uh, among the closers, 
I, I think he can hold the job all year. They signed him to a two-year deal. Yep. That doesn't mean they won't trade him. Uh, that could actually enhance his value a little bit in trade if, if they go that route. But I think that they're, you know, they, they understand that you still have to have some, some veterans sprinkled in when you're building up this team. And having a veteran at the back end of the bullpen can really help a young team squeeze out a right. few extra wins while you're kind of putting it together. Cause they're really looking at 18. If they can mess around this year, and not be a total bottom feeder if, if the offense uh, stays stays solid. You know they were the second best offense in, in the in the league last year. The Braves were in the second half. Uh, they're not expecting those heights, but if they're a top, you know, fifteen, eighteen, you know, just just at at the halfway point or just below, and their pitching is solid and they develop some guys and and he's closing out games at the back end. I think they're going to be happy with their season in Atlanta. So I'm with you, a column A Johnson combo would be completely fine and it's not expensive it's pick 105 right. and pick 207 and it's, it's weird i mean jim johnson's being drafted after platoons i mean i know andrew miller is awesome and, and whatnot but andrew miller and dylan batances are both going 40 plus picks in front of jim johnson they're not and they're, right handful. now it's tough to project them but johnson i mean you look at he got he, he stumbled out of the gate terribly big last time, year big time awful and then he comes back, and then over the course of the season, here comes the velocity. So then, then he's striking out better than league average, which was always the knock against him, as he didn't get your strikeouts. Exactly. But now he was doing that, and he was maintaining his ground ball rate. And now they gave him the two-year extension, so you don't have to worry about looking over his shoulder. Is Vizcaino going to take him? You don't have to worry about wasting the money on Mauricio Cabrera, because yeah. I don't care if he throws 102. It's, it's the that. only pitch he throws, and he doesn't locate it well. Uh, and that's when you look at his strikeout rate. I don't care. If Jim Johnson you know, broke his ankle and was out six weeks, I'm still not giving that job to Cabrera, because you line up Cabrera and Vizcaino, and that's Vizcaino's job to lose in the interim. I agree. Uh, just but I hear thing I hear things the other way, like, oh just you know, Cabrera throws with all this velocity. So what? It's all he has and it's not like it's a, a terrific pitch. It it, it, uh, it wasn't him. impressive either. Like you said, uh his strikeout rate, even his swinging strike rate, which you know, if if you don't if you're not getting the actual punch outs, that's one thing. But a twelve percent swinging strike rate is nothing to sneeze at for for Mauricio Cabrera. So I'm not I'm not trying to suggest that he's been bad. But when you're regularly throwing a hundred one hundred and two, his average was a hundred point one, which means he's popping one hundred two one hundred three with some regularity. And you're still only at twelve percent. I don't know. You know, Colomay we just talked about was fifteen percent. He doesn't throw that hard. So velocity's great and all, but you got to have a little bit more. And so I'm with you. Mauricio Cabrera is going to be. Going to be one of those shiny new toys that people are going to say, "Oh, yeah, you know, forget Jim Johnson." Joe Blanton. Got Joe Blanton guy. had a fourteen percent strikeout rate. Let's put this in perspective. That's, that's, you know, that's that, that twelve percent strikeout rate doesn't even make the top thirty last year. It's, it, you got to be honestly, you got to be clicking, uh, pushing near fifteen to really make an impact these days with some of the obscene numbers that these relievers are putting up. So yeah, twelve percent. It's okay, but it doesn't say that Mauricio Cabrera is going to steal this job and hold it. I think Jim Johnson keeps it. So um, we like Colome Johnson as as a if you want to go a little bit cheaper on your closers there. Let's jump into favorite targets. You already gave away yours, Kobe Rasmus. Tell me about Kobe Rasmus. What do, what do we like? Uh, what I like is he should be healthy. I mean, he was playing. You see, he's had hip surgery this off season. He's had inner ear surgery this off season. Jeez. He was basically trying to play with vertigo. Uh, and then he had an issue, uh, hip labrum. He's had, he had to have multiple surgeries, and that's really where things fell apart. And why I like him for this year is, again, the current price, 
dirt cheap. And you know, in Tampa Bay, they're going to let him let him do his thing against right-handed pitching, mm-hmm. and then keep him on the bench as much as possible against lefties. And you think back to guys that have done that in the past. Matt Joyce was able to do that successfully in Tampa Bay in the past, and so I, I like I like Rasmus to be able to provide that cheap power because we know he can do that. And right, I mean, his ADP right now is non-existent. He's the 115th outfielder out there. So if you're looking for a cheap late power guy who could who could bring that that 15 to 20 home runs, he's out there for the taking. Nobody nobody wants him right now. He's and I think. I, I, he may not be ready to start the season. That, that I mean, he may miss a, a couple of uh, may miss the opening two weeks or so. Okay, but I mean, Colby Jacks are there for a reason. When when he's when when Colby's going, he can pop twenty against righties alone. Um, and, he's hit twenty in three of the last five years. And and that's the thing. He had three good years in a row: one twenty-seven, one hundred five, one sixteen OPS plus totals there. Um, as, as a nice little, you know, back of, back of your outfield sort of bat, and then he really fell off last year when everybody was kind of hyped on him. Well, did he just lose his skills from the last three years, or was there something to it? There was something to it. It was the injuries, and and so there was just uh, a bunch of little knickknack issues that piled up and really ate into Colby's season. So I think Rasmus is a very interesting one. I do like that. Uh, you talked me off of Nick Franklin being a, f- a favorite target. I, I, I can't do that anymore. Honestly, for me, I think it's going to be, you know, this will give us a chance to talk about it a little bit. So I'll, I'll lean with this one. I think I, I'm ready to jump back in on Alex Cobb. I wanted no part of him last year. I never thought for a second that there'd be any fantasy viability to him uh, mm-hmm. whatsoever because I really just thought the innings wouldn't be there, and that's what it was. He threw 22 innings. I don't care that it was an 8.59 ERA. I, I didn't think he would necessarily be that bad, but I just knew that there were not going to be enough innings for him to matter, and yet folks were really taking him with like a substantial pick. I can't remember exactly where it was, but I remember we talked about the ADP, and we said, what are people doing? That is right. insane. Uh, but, hey, this year I think it's going to be a bit of a different story. He's going to be ready to go uh, from the jump, and Alex Cobb doesn't cost anything. He's the 83rd pitcher off the board at pick 313, and prior to his Tommy John surgery, he had two seasons uh, combined of a 282 ERA in 309 and two-thirds innings. Now, the one thing has been health, not just the Tommy John, but even the three years before that, 136, 143, 166 innings. One of those was a comebacker uh, in the head from... from um, was it somebody on the oh on the Jays? Didn't he get hit in the head? No, it was Eric Hosmer. Oh, it was Eric Hosmer. Okay, I was at the game. It was disgusting. It was so brutal, and so you know you, you don't really you don't put that on Cobb, of course. But he has had injuries that have, have curbed his other seasons, and so that is a concern. But even if he only went 150 innings at this cost, you, you, the expectations just aren't that high at pick at pitcher 83, pick 313. So I like Cobb. Uh, I'm going to take him at the back end, even a mixed league rotation, just to see what's what. Uh, I just, I don't know. I love what he's been able to do with that, with that splitter, that that massive changeup that he has as pr- pretty much his primary pitch. Do you think there's still something left in the tank, and is he ready to deliver this year, or uh, where, where do you stand on Cobb right now? I have him at ten dollars in my home AL keeper league, and I'm keeping him. Boom. That's where, and I don't have to, and I don't have to, and I'm keeping him. I mean, the health thing is real. I mean, liner aside, he's had the oblique injury yep. um, that's kept him off at least once. Um, obviously, the the arm surgery that was another one. So I mean, the health issue is real, uh, and that delivery 
Uh, I'm not convinced the oblique thing isn't always isn't always going to be a little bit of an issue. But at ten dollars, again, when he's on the mound, the skills are good. Last year, it's just a total write off, and, and we kept telling everybody that, as you said last year. Just forget about 2016. But ten dollars AL, keeping him, and I'd pay. I go right into the draft and pay it. Okay, hey, that's awesome. So I, I feel I feel justified in my Alex Cobb love. This was a guy I was super hyped on. I was actually really bummed when he went down with Tommy John because he was looking like somebody who he was he was just a, a little bit of health away from maybe like a top 25 pitcher season. And, uh, you know, going into 2015, I was super excited on, on Cobb. And then, of course, he missed all of it. So he's back, and I think he'll be ready to deliver. Uh, who are you staying away from at their cost? You just you don't want any part of it. Who am I staying away from at their cost? Uh, Brad Miller. I mean, he's going to have he's going to have the multi-position eligibility he's gonna uh, have thing going on. He's going to have some height. He's going to be sure. hitting high in the lineup, uh, but that's going to be really tough for it. He was. It seemed like every other fly ball he was hitting uh, last year was making it out of the park. But I just I, I like the multi-positional guys, but the price to me is going to be too high uh, on him. And if he's not hitting thirty, we know he's not going to hit batting average. If he doesn't make it to twenty-five home runs, what is he doing for you? So you don't see another thirty. This kind of yeah, kind of I mean, nuts. He's going he to steal 30. some bases. He should score some runs. Um, but if it, yeah, again, another guy that has some issues against lefties and uh, AL East pitching is tough, man. Uh, it's just well, you look. You can see a lineup where Duffy's going to go higher in that lineup uh, against lefty pitching. Miller's going to drop down. But at that price of one sixty one, I'm going to run the other way. Okay, I think that that's completely fair because I think there is a lot of hype around uh, Brad Miller right now where. You know, he's going to have to do something at pick 160. He's going just behind Troy Tulowitzki, so that means in some leagues he's, he's going ahead of him. Uh, they're pick 157 and 161, the two of them, so they're very close. Uh, you got some interesting up-and-comers that are just behind him. Tim Anderson, he's more of a speed-only guy or speed-heavy guy. Dansby Swanson, who is kind of a solid across-the-board guy, not really going to be high-impact in any one category the way Brad Miller can with the power. But there's also a little juice taken out of the fact that even on 30 homers, 30 homers from shortstop, I don't want to diminish that. That would still, that's still going to have value if he could repeat that. But power in general is just not as tough to find. And I'd almost rather just take Brandon Crawford at pick 243 because he's a power. I'm going to take his Dribble Cabrera down there at like 260 something. He's 100 picks later than Brad Miller. And that's, that's one of those low ceiling, high floor types that, that the people that end up winning leagues tend to have more of on their roster than those who don't. Uh, and, and that's kind of where with Miller, yes, it almost tripled his home run total last year. It's just with Cabrera, I see there's more safety and Miller. Is there any, is there any more upside? Yeah. DD too, a guy we both like uh, going into last year. Um, but it, what, what's the upside to, to Miller in 2017, can he get better than 2016? No. I don't think Can so. Can he get worse? Can he go back to where he was the previous year where he was 11 home runs, 13 steals, and 258 average? Yeah. Is that worth pick 160? Hell no. Not at shortstop either, which has some depth this year. Both middle infield positions, you can mess around in some of these later rounds after pick 200. Um, Marcus Simeon, who we didn't talk about, is also there at pick 206. Crawford, Gregorius, Cabrera, um, you know, maybe some of you are thinking of Cattell Marte. Uh, push forward in Arizona the don't. way Segura did. I'm not really interested in that, don't. but it's pick 321. And so if you don't want to overpay on Miller, 
you've got options is, is the main point I'm trying to make there. In fact, I don't know if there's some health. Johnny Peralta can get back to what he does, and I think he could. I think Johnny Peralta and Brad Miller could have season lines that end up a lot closer than many are expecting. Particularly if Miller doesn't run much, and he only had six stolen bases last year, he was six for ten. If he doesn't get back to double digits, I would not be surprised if Johnny Peralta and Brad Miller are pretty close, and Johnny Peralta's pick four fifty one. That's all I'm saying. I'm, this is not a huge go get Johnny Peralta. It's a stay away from Miller. So I'm actually with you on. On that stay away, I don't know if I have another one, uh, you know, a unique one of my own because I like the bullpen. I like a lot of the the starters. Um, you kind of talked me into Colby Jack. I think Matt Duffy's going to have a solid season. I don't know. Yeah, I can leave. I can give you a suggestion on like a stay Logan away Morrison, only because. But who cares? He doesn't cost anything. I mean, I, I see some. I see some stuff going on about him and I, I, like Matt Andrees is getting some runs okay, that, this year. That gives us a chance That's to a talk weird... about it because there's some love okay. out there for him and there I is. am curious what you think about it. So go ahead on that. I'm a little weird on him because I see it, but it's one of those guys where like, okay, watch him pitch. And when you watch him pitch, you see stuff that's very uh, average. I mean, he can throw a lot of different things. He'll work his fastball. He's got a little bit of crossfire going on to him. He'll work up and down in the zone, spin his spin his breaking ball uh, type of thing. But for even though he's got average stuff, he had a right there and maybe a tick above average strikeout rate for us. He was at 20.7%. And most of that work came in the rotation. So that put him, you know, he had uh, 19 starts and 29 appearances. So that puts him slightly above average for a starting pitcher for the league strikeout rate. Doesn't walk guys, but it, it is prone to uh, some home runs when he leaves the ball up. But one of the things that's it's really tough to ignore with him is he doesn't control the running game. And, and if you're looking at somebody who's going to stay in the starting rotation and, and the projected rotation of Archer, Odorizzi, Cobb, Snell, and Andres with the guys they have coming up behind, mm-hmm. there's not a big margin for error here. You know, if somebody gets hurt, somebody else comes up. If somebody doesn't get hurt and one of these studs, DeLeon De and Honeywell in particular, are just kicking ass down there in AAA and just banging on the door like Snell was last year, somebody's got to go. And then, then you start picking, you just start looking for faults in Andres' inability to control the running game. 16 is the only guy that was thrown out with Andres pitching last year was Ronald Torius. That's wow. it. 16 of 17 guys stole bases against him, and he only threw 134 innings. He had the highest um, the highest rate of stolen base success against him last year. Uh, and so that's really something I'm concerned about with him. And plus, he, he can be that, that guy that has some length that could go in the bullpen, because you look at the bullpen right now, and Erasmo was the only guy exactly. that can really pitch with length, and he had trouble staying healthy. He, had, he, he was gassed. There was a point last year where he just ran out of gas because he became everyday Erasmo because Kevin Cash didn't trust any of his other relievers last year to get the ball from the starting rotation over to Column. Yeah, especially you know, early. was hurt twice. Uh, Farquhar sucked out of the gate. He was saving Cedeno for the lefty matchup. So the rest of the bullpen was terrible. Yep, and, and if, if they were going to the bullpen in the middle of the fifth or sixth when you're going to need a little bit of time, uh, they were they were leaning on Erasmo a lot. I do think that the 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 swingman capability of Andres almost works against him in the case of the prospects. Let's jump to prospects quickly since you did bring them up. They have some potential impact names. Jose De Leon, of course, they got for Logan Foresight. That's the biggest one. He's definitely knocking on the door. Brent Honeywell for me is somebody who I could see getting overdrafted in some leagues. I would not touch him in a mixed league. I, I was impressed with what we saw 
in the Arizona Fall League. I'm pretty hyped on Brent Honeywell in general, but this is a guy mm-hmm. who's 22 years old, who hasn't hit AAA yet, who plays for Tampa Bay. I just don't see how he's going to get any meaningful innings this year. Um, and then you have who? What? Chi who? Chi Wei who? Yes. Am I, am I getting? Am I close there? Um, he's somebody what? who could come up. Chi Wei who? C H I H hyphen W E I H U. Chi Wei who? Okay, he could come up this year. Um, Taylor Guerrero, like uh, the first round pick from like 1994. I mean, I swear that guy has been around forever. Jacob Faria. Yeah. So that, there's some other names there. Jamie Schultz. Uh, the the biggest is DeLeon, so you can say something on him. And then separately, who do you like after DeLeon that could make an impact this year? All right, so one of the things we have to consider with all of these guys is, you know, this again, this is a club that – that typically doesn't like their their guys going any more than uh, 20% year over year in innings totals. Yep. So you look at a guy like Jose De Leon, who uh, threw 17 innings at the major league level last year and 86 in the minors, so that's 103. You add you know 20%, so basically you're looking at 125 innings. So let's just go by that kind of rule of thumb there. So at 125 innings, I don't care how good your skills are, Give me a 150 inning pitcher with with average numbers, yeah. Versus a guy at 120 with with good uh, to that point. So that's one of the things I'm concerned there with Honeywell. You know, he threw. If you add what we saw in the AFL, he was at 130 innings last year. So you give the 20 percent there. You're looking at about 145, 150. And I, I think both. I think it's a real concern for both of these guys. So at 150 innings in a mixed league, you have to max out your skills. So I don't see either of these guys as mixed league as mixed league targets. Maybe if you've got a bench in that league, uh, yeah, maybe it's some guy you use late. If you say you have five reserve picks in a reset league, maybe you speculate a little bit there. But I think that's a real concern for both of these guys. Whereas I like, especially with De Leon and the changeup and, and Honeywell, that he throws four or five things. We saw the breaking ball look really good in Arizona. The screwball is obviously a unique pitch, and, and and when he can come in and fire BBs like he did in that game you know, work in 97 and whatnot. That's a little different than what he would do as, as a starter. I like the future of both these guys. I just don't like their fantasy future in 2017, mainly because I can see the Rays keeping a cap on their workload. Certainly. And that, and that, that is my concern, especially with Honeywell, but it, with De Leon's innings not being there, that they're, they're, they just don't go crazy with these guys. And they've got depth at the, at the major league level here that if they can stay healthy, they might not even have to dip into the minors that much. So be careful with Jose De Leon and Brent Honeywell. What about these off the radar ones? Um, at least in terms of mixed league. We're, now we're talking AL only with with who Guerrero and Faria. Any of them? Uh, any of them get you where, to where you were saying? You know what? In in AL Tout, I wanna I wanna have them on a reserve or something like that. Anything like that for these three guys? Could could them could they make an impact? I mean, I like. I like Faria, even though he's a little bit short. I mean, he's 5'10". He's one of those short types. And I also like James Schultz uh, out of the bullpen. Uh, he had some nice swing and miss numbers for Durham last year. Okay. If, if you if you do subscribe to the MILB.com package, um, it's worth tuning in to Durham games this year. You look at that staff, that could be De Leon, Guerrero, uh, Schultz, Honeywell. It could be all of these guys. Faria, it, it, the pitching staff's good. Hugh, all of these guys are projected to pitch there. It's going to be fun to watch that staff come in day in and day out and pitch. I think you're mixing, so there, there is a lot. I think you're mixing Faria on somebody. He's actually up up with us. He's 6'4". So, Who am I? Oh, talking, Schultz. You're talking about Schultz. 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 Yes. Schultz. Okay, Schultz pardon me. Pardon me. Sort of guy. My bad. So, yeah, strike that. 
I always flip them out. There's so many guys, so many deep pitching prospects. I don't know uh, with, with them. So I, I like Faria and Schultz as the two guys that come up this year. Okay. You know, everybody's going to kind of be focused on De Leon and Honeywell, but I think those two guys could come up at some point this year and and do it. In fact, if if you know, if we look back at last year, how Snell got called up for that one start and then went away. I think it could be one of those guys that get called up for that early start if, if something needs to happen and then come back down before uh, they come up in, later on in the season. So if, if, it really depends. The season could go a whole bunch of different ways. If they stumble out of the gate like they did last year, and then they could sell Cobb off right away. So let's not forget Cobb's a free agent after this yep. year. So if they don't get off to a good start, Cobb's the first guy to go off the team. And that was uh, uh, Sorry to interrupt you, but that was going to be one of the questions ahead. that I was going to ask is if the season goes – South, right, and and they don't compete. Besides Cobb, who who's who's getting traded here? Who who do you think would be Odorizzi, on the Cobb block? and Odorizzi? I think Cobb Odorizzi would be the first two guys that come to mind to me that go away um, in that kind of situation. Anybody not nailed down, you know, Rasmus is on a, a one year deal. Mm-hmm. That's somebody that goes. Morrison, he's on a one year deal last year, and they couldn't trade him, even though he was actually hitting well right. last year. You know, they couldn't deal him either. So those would be the two guys uh, to me right away that would um, be seeing the door. Okay. On the offensive side. Well, let's talk some uh, hitting prospects then. Let's see what we got here. Uh, the the main one that's that's close is is Jake Bowers, somebody that we have seen in the Arizona Fall League as well. Willie Adamas is is the number one prospect. He has an ETA of of twenty eighteen though, um, and I think even with even with hitting prospects, they they tend to have the same sort of slow roasting attitude toward them. So I don't know that yep. Adamas is going to come up. So I really think it is Jake Bowers, and then maybe some wild cards. Uh, do you have any wild cards? And then what are your thoughts on Jake Bowers? I mean, with Bowers, the, the power's got to play. Uh, and you give, him, give him some time to, to work on things because when you play a corner position like that, you've got to be able to hit for a lot of power. And the projections on him are you're, you're a little bit – some people say yes, it's there. Some other people say uh, no, it's not there uh, full time. So that, Bauer, that um, bar is a little – with Adamus in a perfect world, he'd be up now. You know, they'd be up moving. Maybe he'd come up and come up and play second base, and then Miller stays at first, and they don't have to sign Morris and that type of thing. But if if you believe in that kind of future for for Adamus, then obviously they want to control his cost a little bit. Uh, you know, getting back to my earlier thing is who may be nailed down. You know, at some point you've got to look at the discussion. What do we do with what do we do with Evan Longoria as a when I say we with the club? What do they do with Evan Longoria? Because you've got Matt Duffy playing shortstop right now, who could just easily slide over. And then if he slides over, then you've got then you can put Adamas at shortstop. But if if the team com- is competing for a wild card spot, they're not going to trade Longoria in season, which is going to slow play where Adamas ends up. Now, now Duffy has had his health issues. Uh, Longoria doesn't have those anymore. He had those early right. on, but he keeps playing every day. So that's not a problem for him anymore. So uh, I would not be wasting a pick on Adamas for 2017 uh, in a reset league, but in the keeper league, yeah, I'd be very aggressive. Yeah, because he, he's he's on the rise. This was this was the uh, the low level prospect thrown into the the David Price deal, who's ended up being the best part of it and could really be a high impact guy. He's going to be just 21 though, but he did spend the full season at Double A. So even though it's looking like a 2018 ETA, if he goes to AAA and dominates, maybe he forces his way up. But again, that's not something that you want to gamble on, particularly with this team um, in a mixed league, a mixed redraft league for sure. Now, if they are competing, let's say that everything starts to come together, 
you think one of these top prospects gets dealt or, you know, they've shown themselves to be more of pick up the little small pieces that don't cost much. But could you see one of the top prospects getting dealt if they are, you know, really in the thick of it? Let's say they hold a wild card spot and they're two games out of the division. Do they turn around and move, you know, I, I, I don't I I just I don't feel like they would. But I'll say, you know, do they turn around and move like a Honeywell to get some impact, uh, whatever? I, I don't know what, what whatever. No, the best I just don't is. see it. They've never done it. Even even back in the day when they were leading the division, they never did it. I mean, shoot, go back to 2008 when the rumor was they could have had Jason Bay for Jeff Neiman and Reed Brignac. Nope, not going to do it. They seem didn't like do it. Them. And, and neither of those guys really. Pan- it just has never been their modus operandi. So I, I don't see that now. If if there's enough depth at the upper levels of the minor league system where possibly they could look at one of those pitchers because, again, at the major league level, they've got that rotation under under con, uh, com- control for a while. I mean, Archer's under control for a few more years. Odorizzi's got two years. Snell's got five more years. So you've got those types of things. But, you know, leading back to who's the most tradable on this team, it's Cobb, uh, it's Boxberger, it's it's Rasmus, uh, and it's uh, Dickerson. Those are the four guys I would deem as, as the guys uh, that are most uh, tradable if the season gets off to a terrible start because say what you will about stumbling out of the gate, but it's really tough to make that up for most teams. It's even tougher when you're, when you're balling on a budget like the Rays are. And uh, I mean, the Astros did it. Everybody will point back to 2004 or five when the Astros were terrible, hired Phil Gardner and then just was, were unbelievable in the second half and made the postseason. Uh, That's the exception and not the norm. Uh, And we saw what happened with the team last year. There's more depth to it. I'm more excited about 17 than I was 16. Um, but it's really when you look at them trading youth, it it rarely happens. It never happened back in the day when they were when they were leading the division. I, I certainly don't see it happening when they are just trying to fight for a it's, wild card. It's just not that kind of team. And even with with Friedman moving on, the his imprint is still all over it. That's that same kind of uh, front office to where they're just not going to do that. Uh, Another thing we can't uh, we can't forget about Malik Smith either. I mean that speed potential. I really like. I had him pegged as one of my. Uh, something I wrote two months ago uh, as an NL sleeper, just because I'd like last year, he had to come up earlier than he was uh, ready to uh, struggled, still ended up running a bunch. And you look at the AL, there was a nice piece the other day by uh, Matt Dodge at baseball HQ talking about the imbalance of stolen bases and how a lot of that has shifted over to the NL this mm-hmm. year. So if you're looking for late speed grabs in AL only leagues, Malik Smith he is almost certainly not going to start the season in the major league level just because you, now you've got too many left-handed bats on the team to start the season. Uh, unless you know, Ras- if, if Rasmus isn't ready for opening day, perhaps Smith sneaks on the opening day roster, but then goes down once Rasmus is ready, uh, type of thing. And we, you know, along that note, Wilson Ramos is still somewhere was, in this I was team. Just late, about to get May. to him, and I was going to say <laughs> okay. we we miss. Because uh, I didn't put yeah. him on the list. Uh, we can't get, go throughout the entire Rays episode here and not talk Wilson Ramos, who the team did sign to a two-year deal, meaning they understand that this year's not going to be high impact, likely, because he is still returning right. from that, that, that late-season knee injury. In fact, kind of the, the early rumoring is might not get back until May, could end up DHing early on as he eases himself back into catcher. Which gets back to that platoon nightmare yeah, I was, exactly. I was, we talked about about 40 minutes exactly. ago. So there, there's a lot of platoons there, and this could be another one. What what are you doing with Ramos in a mixed league to catcher? Are you, touch, are you touching him? Are you even going there? Because catcher's not great. It's not deep. 
you going to take him on the, on the huge discount, or are you just staying away from it because catchers already have limited playing time, and you're going to get one who's you know not even going to start the season? Where where do you stand on Wilson Ramos mixed league two catchers? Mixed leagues two catchers. Uh, I'm in the five five to seven dollars range because with him being AL, he doesn't have to come back to catch. He can you know come back and play some DH. Um, there'll be the opportunities for him to do that with, uh, especially with the number of lefties, uh, in the American league. East. So there'll be the opportunity for him to do that until he's ready mm-hmm. to catch. Once he is ready to catch, then, you know, probably five day a week catcher. I mean, your backup is, is Kirk Casale or Luke Maley. Those guys are your prototypical superstars afternoon oh. catchers, your afternoon catcher. That's what they're there for. Uh, unless the team goes out, I mean, the, the, as they're looking for that right-handed bat, Matt Wieters are still sitting out there as oh, well. Wait. And perhaps maybe that's the, that's the route they go at this point is they, they, they do that. They do a one-year pillow deal or something for, for Wieters. And then that becomes um, the guy they use. So uh, then, then when Ramos the gets healthy, would Wieters then maybe go to first base? I, again, there's so many moving parts in this. I honestly don't know where they go. There are so many moving pieces that they, they, could, they could still do and take advantage of what's left in the market because these guys, there's enough talent out there in the market. And it, right now it is a buyer's market, not a seller's market. So they can go get one of these guys um, if, if they want to. So I don't know. It, just so many moving parts. But Ramos, five to seven bucks. Um, I think uh, I'm, I'm thinking there's 375 to 400 plate appearances there. Okay, for him and mid-teen homers. I feel like you inadvertently gave a uh, off-the-radar pick when you brought up Malik Smith. Uh, do, does that count, or did you have somebody else you wanted to talk about? No, that's really that's really the off-the-radar guy because uh, th- there'll have to be some things playing around. Uh, but even if he comes up and plays in a reserve outfield role, I, I, it's not tough to imagine 15 st- stolen bases. Exactly. Under. Like this guy's got speed for days. So that's the one thing about Malik Smith. I'm with you there. So I, I agree with just keeping him there. One other guy I wanted to mention before we get to our pitcher battle, just to get your thoughts on him, because I don't know a ton about Daniel Robertson, um, the the middle infield, you know, shortstop primarily, but then middle infield kind of bounce around guy. Is there anything to his bat? Because he, he played a full season at AAA last year. He's ready to come up. Um, but, but is there anything there? It's the, the minor league numbers aren't great. I don't have... I've never had eyes on him, so I don't really – I mean, Arizona Fall League, I vaguely remember him. Nothing that left an impact, so I don't feel comfortable making any definitive statements about Daniel Robertson. But he's been a top 100 prospect, and he'll be knocking on the door right away this year uh, ahead of Adamus in terms of getting to the majors. Is there anything there if a spot opens up for him? I want to say the thing with him that was puzzling to me is – this, you know, they needed help in the middle infield late in the season, and they went out and signed Alexi Ramirez, who was literally sitting on his couch at home waiting for the season to end because the Padres had already cut bait with him. And instead of calling up Robertson, they went out and paid Ramirez to finish the season. So I'm not sure why why Robertson was sold short like that. I mean, when you're, when you're in a 68 win season, this is your time to see what somebody has. Maybe it was roster manipulation or, or something to that point, but they let him play out the season in AAA and didn't give him any major league playing time. Um, so that was a little confusing for me. Uh, there's not power. He, he hasn't really hit with power. Hasn't run um, batting average. He's hit for average in the past, but some of that's been California league mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, I think there's an opportunity here for him to be that guy that, that runs back and forth uh, because he has those options. So if, if, 
if Beckham does something stupid again, yeah, if he doesn't uh, run things out again, they send him down. Robertson's the guy that comes up. Okay. So I think he'll be on that that Durham to Tampa Bay shuttle a little bit this year. But I, I don't see much. But I also think that he's got a, a, a place in the organization, just not a, a bright Maybe future. Maybe an AL guy with position flexibility that you need to use at some point if if he does start to uh, get some playing time for Daniel Robertson. But nothing that looks too high Maybe impact. Adam Rosales. Yep. Maybe Adam yep. Rosales. And maybe he'll sprint around the bases if he if he ever hits any home runs. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, all right, let's talk pitching battle then. And uh, there's been obviously a notable omission of somebody that we haven't talked about, and that's because we're going to talk about him here. And it is, of course, Chris Archer, their best pitcher and probably their best overall player, at least in contention with uh, Evan Longoria for that. So interesting pitcher battle today because it's it's a trio, and and they're all going in order. They're three guys that uh, are sure to draw a lot of attention with Archer, Steven Strasburg, Carlos Carrasco. They're going 54, 55, 56, right in order, 13, 14, 15 among starters. Uh, Just open it up. Let's discuss Archer versus Strasburg and Carrasco. We can isolate them if we want first. We can go Archer versus Carrasco and then Archer versus Strasburg, however you want to do it, Jason. I mean – if your biggest concern about starting pitchers is their health, I don't know how Archer is not the answer. Correct. That's that's definitive. that's to me. That's if that is your biggest benchmark for your starting pitcher, like which guy is going to stay healthy all year, or are you one of these guys who are like hell? Every starting pitcher, every pitcher is going to get hurt at some point. Which camp are you in? If you are in the I need health and I want that high health grade, then you don't have another choice here. Archer's it. If you're the I don't care. That you know, just give me. I'll take the best skills. I don't care there. Then to me, I'm I'm leaning Carrasco because Strasburg's health is still just it's just, it's just too much to overlook. When he's there, it's awesome, but it's just like man, I, I can't do this anymore. Strasburg had some. I'm I'm in Camp A. I'm in Camp A. I mean, I I want health out of my starting pitchers, and for me, this it's Archer. And I don't care what team he's pitching for. I still I, want. I, I agree there. I, I I actually do favor Archer the most here too. Strasburg's had some stuff that's like that seems to really be tied to the way he pitches and everything. Whereas Carrasco's had some kind of fluke injuries too. He got hit by uh, by a comebacker. He's uh, busted up a hamstring running out to first base, and that just doesn't look like stuff that. You, first off, it's not it's not pitching related. Ian Kinsler blasting a ball off of his freaking wrist is not Carrasco's issue. It's not, oh, if you change your mechanics, you won't get smashed in the wrist by Ian Kinsler anymore. So even when you compare those two as health risks, I still lean a little bit Carrasco. And I love Strasburg. The, the the talent is overwhelming. And even if you only plan for 165 innings, they're still going to be really good. But when you're talking pick, uh, you know, a, a top 60 pick, you're still looking for an ace. And so you're really hoping for 185 plus, like you're, I mean, not just hoping, you're kind of planning for it. That's kind of what you need. So I, I think I like the two AL guys as well. Honestly, I, I really wanted to have this to talk about the fact that I think Archer is ready to be an ace again. And I think I think that last year, when you actually look at what Archer did, the fact that he, you know he struggled. We talked about Archer so much last year just because it was kind of maddening because you could watch him and he'd have two great innings, one bad one. Two great, one bad. One one great, two bad. And it was just the inconsistency of spotting both the slider and the fastball was so annoying. But at the end of it, he still went 201 innings, had a 27% strikeout rate, and all in all, 
it wasn't it wasn't as bad as maybe maybe the bottom line numbers would look. 402 ERA. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that was good. And 9 and 19 sucks uh, just because it was only nine wins and you were hoping for at least double digits. But to have the struggles that he had and still come out with that kind of season for 201 innings, I think that speaks to the kind of talent that Archer has. I still think there's a chance to not only get back to 2014-15 levels, I think he can beat it. I think this could be the breakout season. Like the, I guess 15 was the breakout season. Let me, let me back up on that. But it could be the best season for, for Archer. I could see a sub-3 ERA. I'm super hyped on Archer this year. So a couple of things. Uh, if you look at the overall picture with him, I, I think he was very much impacted by Kiermaier being out mm-hmm. last year. I mean, I know he's got a higher ground ball rate, but he does give up a lot of, to that particular part. And I think he was impacted there. If you look at this year, you know, he's going to have an outfield defense on most days uh, of Kiermaier and Rasmus, who, again, are two of the better guys uh, and if got out Suda there. as well, uh, that's that. three. You could. I mean, you could have that. Then on the left side of the infield, you've got Longoria and Duffy, who are going to be really well. The right side's a big question mark. Brad Miller hasn't played second base uh, on a regular basis in a while. I think it's going to help him at second base because a lot of his problems in the field and shortstop were his footwork and throwing the ball. He had a lot of issues. He could get to the baseball, but throwing the baseball, it it was very frustrating to watch him last year because the routine throw, he would throw down if he's on his on the move and spinning he could make that throw but the i've got too much time to think about this throw would be the ones that would sail or short hop on him i think the the second base issue i think that'll help him uh we'll see how he is turning two that that's something to watch in spring training but i think a lot of the defensive issues with miller that's one of the things i'm going to be focused on as as you know hearing reports and being able to watch some of the stuff on MLB network and all that. How is he looking at it with his um, footwork and everything at, at second base and then first base, um, you know, Morrison is a tick below league average. If they go get Chris Carter, he's well below league average at first. If they get Napoli, he's you know, probably aligned with Morrison. So it gives you that your, his pull side as Archer's facing lefties, the pull side is going to be a weaker uh, part of the defense. But, you know, if you, if you look over the last three years and take the three-year numbers, Archer has faced, um, you know, has thrown 150 more innings than Carrasco, 100 and, uh, 118 more than Strasburg. It's just the body of work that he and he and Carrasco line up so well skills-wise um, over the past three years. Carrasco has the edge on the first pitch strike and the swinging strike. Um, but again, I really love. Um, the health-wise, it's just something way too much for me to overlook. In I'm this looking. Case. I, I did. Uh, I did. I took the leaderboard that you that you gave me with the three guys. I did last three years, and like you mm-hmm. said, I mean Archer just stands out. 608 innings, 464 for Carrasco. Part of that's because 2014 was mostly in the bullpen, but then 490 for Strasburg, and then when you look at ERA and WHIP, uh, you know Str- Archer is last in both 352 ERA and 122 WHIP. But I'll take those for the extra innings right. and the extra strikeouts when you compare it to 336 and 111 for, for Strasburg and 322 and 107 for Carrasco. I, I'll, I'll still take Archer, but I, I love Carrasco too. I know that Carrasco was a, a very hot pick for us last year as a potential AL Cy Young. I, th- I, I, I think I might be, I think I might be giving something away early here. I might be going Archer, AL Cy Young this year. I, I, I'm not going to fully commit to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to waffle a little bit. Let me straddle that fence. Coward. But I'm thinking that that might be my pick. 
He's going to finish second to Paxton. Oh, dude, that would be kind of awesome, though. Because <laughs> Paxton, I, I would love to see that kind of breakout. If he if he rises up from pick 52 off uh, among pitchers and pick 196 to get the Cy Young, that would be sweet. Obviously, we'll have all those picks coming up down the road. But I'm, I'm hinting that it might be Archer for me this year. I just really love uh, – plus, I love the fact that the guy tweaks. Like, he's going to look back at last year – and see the changes that he has to make. You know, 1.34 home run per nine rate was far and away his highest. I just think that this is a guy who goes in the lab and just says, listen, I got to figure this out. I got to get back to what was good for me. And sometimes you need the kind of the off season. You can't make the tweaks in those four off days before you pitch again. And so I still have a lot of love for Chris Archer. So he is, I, I think I rank them as they go. Well, actually, I think I have Carrasco ahead of Strasburg. As much as I like Strasburg, I think he's third among this group. Uh, they're like I said, they're a, a pick apart though, fifty four, fifty five, fifty six. There's not a whole lot of distinction. I just know for me, it is firmly Archer number one right now. All right, so I think that wraps it us does. up. Um, now next week, obviously, we have the labor draft coming up on Monday, February thirteenth. Yes. Um, what are our, what are your thoughts about us recording next Sunday to prep for that, but not publish that Correct. particular podcast until I Tuesday morning after the draft along and then do, and, and also like yes. post two of them, the prep show and the live. God damn it. I can't believe that <laughs> Howard uh, Bender screwed us again, that Howard stole our uh, pick again. I think again. That, that is exactly <laughs> the way we will go because, um, if you guys are will be patient and, and wait the extra couple of days, you're going to get a lot more. Because if you want one on Sunday, it's going to be a lot of, well, we're kind of looking in this range, and it'd be cool to get this, but nothing really committal. Uh, but if if you can wait, then then it's going to be all the stuff. We're, we're planning to do this. We're going to go this route. we got to be careful of this. And we will give the full rundown. You'll have a, a full behind the scenes of how we planned. And then you can see how we execute it a day later. So I think that that's absolutely the way to go. So don't look for an episode next how else, Sunday. How else would you want to spend your Valentine's Day by listening to two awesome episodes like that? Honey, wait, we can go to dinner at 730. I've got to catch up on two episodes Boom. of Sleeper in the Move most. the reservation back a little bit. You've got some listening to do. So that's how we're going to do it. Uh, I'll obviously have an episode with Eno next week and, and another one with somebody. I'm not sure who yet. Maybe Al again. But then Jason and I. Hey, got a lot of good feedback oh, on that I saw. I have not yet feedback. listened to the one because uh, I haven't flown in four days. But I uh, saw that people were happy to see uh, was, Al on the episode. Awesome. So uh, was awesome. A lot of fun talking to him. So there's a good chance that it'll, it will be with Al again. So we'll have an Al, Eno. But then you and I will be back. The episodes will post the 14th so we will do two episodes on the 12th and 13th but you will not hear them till the 14th so keep an eye on that next weekend don't be sitting there refreshing your podcast app because we won't be there for a little bit by the way i'm, I'm gonna link a video here in the show notes folks jason found this video it's from a few years ago it is the single greatest video ever that's all i'm gonna say just watch it this video will pop up again because it is a fan video and I think we can use the music. So just watch it, enjoy it, and get used to it because we're going to be using it. Jason, enjoy the Super Bowl. I'll talk to you in a week. See you, buddy.